So for the next six Sundays, from now until Easter, we're going to follow Jesus' journey to the temple in Jerusalem and the stops that he made along the way to the cross. And we'll find that not only did Jesus navigate the geography, but also the human condition. We're going to follow his journey reading primarily from the gospel according to Mark, the book of Mark in the New Testament. So if you're looking for something to read this Lent season, I recommend that you read the book of Mark and you can follow along with what we'll cover from Sunday to Sunday. But we're going to start today with Jesus at the northernmost point of his journey, that leg of his journey, before he turned to head towards the cross, and that's Caesarea Philippi, and in particular, the mountain that was nearby that town. Now, there was some debate in the early church about where that mountain is, because this is the location of Jesus' transfiguration, and so most scholars and historians today believe it's Mount Hermon, which is just north of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, There had been some debate back in time about whether it was Hermon or Mount Tabor, which is sort of south and east of Caesarea Philippi. In fact, that's where the Church of the Transfiguration is. It's Mount Tabor. But most historians believe today that it was Mount Hermon here, just north of Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus begins his journey back towards the cross. And in fact, in Luke's gospel, it says that here in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus turned his face towards Jerusalem and headed towards the cross. Luke also records that it's here in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus first tells his disciples about what's coming, about the treatment he would receive his arrest, and ultimately his crucifixion. And it's also here where he told them, follow me. And one of his disciples said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And said, but first let me go bury my dead relatives. And there was another disciple who said, I'll follow you wherever you go, but, but first let me just go say my goodbyes. And And essentially to both of them, Jesus says, listen, the Son of Man has no place to rest, like a fox without a den or a bird without a nest. This this is not about a destination or arriving. This is about a journey. And if you're going to follow me, we're going, and you need to follow me now. And so for this Lenten season, we're going to follow Jesus' journey And so that, we've come up with a theme for this series that we're calling The Ways of Jesus. So for those of you who don't know what Waze is, it's a, it's a traffic navigation app. I, I, for some of you, I'm apologizing now for explaining this to you, but <laughs> not everybody in here knows The Ways of Jesus. Um, but it's, it's a traffic navigation app that has um, sort of real-time information built into it, and it gives you course correction immediately and helps you find your way to your destination. And so we've created a website that will be a useful resource for you, waysofjesus.com. I encourage you to spend some time and check it out. I mean, it has good 
sort of ge- geographic historical information about each one of these stops that Jesus made. There's also an explainer there about Lent and what Lent is and why we observe it. And there's a link there to the daily devotional that I'll say more about in a little bit. But so I hope you'll check out waysofjesus.com. Because we're going to follow Jesus' journey not only geographically, but also spiritually. We'll follow the ways of Jesus. Because Lent is kind of a, it's a time of preparation, of re-preparation to follow Jesus. It makes me think about the Olympic athletes that we're seeing on TV right now and, and all the time of preparation and hard work that they put in to be ready to compete in their events. Or maybe, like for any of you who may compete in things like triathlons or marathons or half marathons and all the work and effort that goes into that, all all the preparation that you do, all the preparation that you do, because I don't do stuff like that, but but thanks to the wonders of the internet and social media, I know that some of you do. I I see it. Happy for you, proud of you. Really, you're an inspiration. Um, Keep it up. But, But, you know, I mean, that that effort and work that you put in to prepare for that. And, and Lent is, is kind of the same way. I mean, it's a time for us to prepare for following Jesus. And you might say about an athlete, why wouldn't you just always be in that kind of shape? And so maybe there's some truth to that, and there's a sense in which you are always in, in sort of shape for competing or for athletics. or for. But, but leading up to that particular event or activity, you do some extra work, some extra preparation And so that's really kind of what Lent is for us. It's that extra work of preparation and re-preparation for following Jesus. It's a time for us to uh, recenter our lives, to recalibrate what matters to us. And so this Lent season, we're we're going to be recentering, recalibrating as we follow the ways of Jesus. And we'll start in Mark chapter 9. And like I said, Jesus has just told his disciples about the fate that awaits him, that he's headed in that direction. And then this is what happens next. This is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. We're going to put it up on the screen so you can follow along. So six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. He was transformed in front of them. And his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond, for the three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud. This is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And I mentioned a minute ago that Christian Christian tradition calls this event that happened on this mountain near Caesarea Philippi the transfiguration. You can also read about it in 
Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. And it says in that moment, Jesus was transformed before their very eyes. And the two of the great figures of their faith appeared with him and that they heard the voice of God saying to them, listen to him. Now, when it says Jesus was transformed, transfigured, hence the name for the transfiguration, the word that's in the original Greek there is metamorphou, which is the word that has the same root of the word we use today, metamorphosis, which means a complete change from the inside out, from the cellular level, a transformation. Think a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. In fact, it's the same word that Paul uses in the book of Romans later in the New Testament when he says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, the renovation of our reasoning that occurs as we follow Jesus. So Mark says Jesus was transformed, metamorphosed in front of them. Yes. Yeah, that, that was wrong, I know. But he was transfigured. He became something new. Bright, shining, glowing. Then not only that, it says that Elijah and Moses appeared with him, two people who had long been dead, and were having a conversation with him. No doubt signifying for Peter, James, and John that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. Fulfilling what Moses had started when he led God's people out of captivity to freedom. And what Elijah started when he called them to repentance because the Savior was coming. It was no doubt a miraculous experience for the disciples to see and to experience. And and I know, I know that for thinking, reasoning, skeptical, questioning people, like some of my friends, it's things like this in the Bible that cause them to say, what? Come on. And I get it. Two dead people appeared with him, and he was transformed in front of them. Seems like a bit much. Maybe you're in here today, or you're with us online, and you're thinking that. Let me offer you a way to process this. Maybe a different way to think about it. What if it wasn't so much that Jesus was changed as it was that their perception of him was changed. Now, I know this can get real deep and philosophical and metaphysical. I'm not trying to 
get into all that with you. But, but if you think about it, I mean, well, what is the difference? Where do we draw the line between what is and what we perceive? What if Jesus didn't change so much? It's just how they experienced him changed. Because Jesus was Jesus, is Jesus. Maybe it's how we see, hear, perceive, and experience Jesus that has changed. Maybe they experienced the miraculous realization that Jesus is who he says he is, the fullness of God with flesh on. And somehow like that, maybe our eyes are opened to see how brightly the life and love of Jesus shines, how pure and humble and unassuming he is. Maybe we see like a child who hasn't been taught yet to hate. How do you see Jesus? How could your view of Jesus be transformed? Like Peter, James, and John experienced a transformation of their perception of Jesus. And it says... They were overwhelmed. They were scared to death. Rightfully so. Peter's reaction, we got to build something here. (laughs) We need to mark this moment and this place in time. Lord, let us build three shrines, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. I mean, that's our propensity sometimes. And when we have an experience like that, we want to mark it. We want to immortalize it. Lord knows if they'd had Snapchat or Twitter back then, they probably would have broken the Internet with all the pics, like hashtag no filter. This is amazing. You people need to see what's going on right now. In a sense, it's true of all of us. And it stands to reason. Seeing Jesus has that kind of effect on a person. The implications of catching a glimpse of the glory of God are life-changing. Have you had an experience that changed your life? I got a friend named Jody who had an experience that changed his life almost 20 years ago. He went with a group of people to take food, potatoes specifically, leftover potatoes, to people who lived in the hollers of McDowell County, West Virginia, which is at the time was the poorest county in the country. And has since then been the object of television shows and exposés about the mining industry. And I mean, essentially what happened is, you know, the mining industry either shrunk or automated to the point that one in ten people were able to find gainful employment there. And, and so the whole community, the whole county was devastated. Joblessness, poverty were the rule, not the exception. And so Jody went with some friends to take food, to take potatoes that had been donated. And so they went to some places and met some people and delivered some food. And I remember Jody told me about meeting Mary. 
in particular, and, and I went back with him not long after, and, and he introduced me to Mary, so I got to meet her too before she died. And um, Mary lived in one of the houses that had been built, like row houses for the laborers of the mines, and, um, but it hadn't been kept up in all those years. And honestly, when I saw it, it, it looked to me like my treehouse when I was growing up, except the wood wasn't as nice, and it was on the ground and not on a tree. And um, you know, Mary lived in this house and never left, ever. If she had food, somebody brought it to her. And you walk in, and, and the whole house just had a layer of soot on it from the coal-burning stove, piles of cigarette butts everywhere, And Jody says he had an experience there in McDowell County and with Mary that changed his life forever. And so he decided to go back, go back again, and go back again. And actually, he eventually stepped away from the business that he ran and had started. And he formed a new nonprofit to bring other people with him to try to take hope to the people of McDowell County, West Virginia. The organization is called Hands of Hope. I still serve on the board today and participate in the work that's done there. But Jody would tell you his, the experience that changed his life wasn't the fact that he wanted to make those people's lives better, get them a better house or a better car or you know, raise their standard of living. That wasn't the purpose. That's not what affected him. Jody would say the experience that changed his life was seeing Jesus in the soot-covered face of Mary. Seeing the light and life and love of Jesus in her gentle eyes. It changed Jody's life. And he had to respond with expressions of love. And hope, not just for her, but for everyone there, our brothers and sisters. Because seeing Jesus, and seeing Jesus as the divine, the holy, the way, the truth, and the life will impact your life and your livelihood and your very existence in ways that are real and deep and lasting. At least that's the theory. In fact, I read an article this week sent to me by somebody I highly respect about Lent and the fact that you know, Lent is hardly observed by Christians anymore. And um, even though the history of Lent is deep and spiritual and, and really became so much just about the activities and the practice that that's a part of why it has waned in popularity among Christians. But then the author said that he discovered something called secular Lent. And, and this reminded me, actually, of something I read a few years ago about Atheist Church, which I don't know if you had heard about that, but um, a group of atheists got together and they decided to do all the practices that a church does when they gather to, you know, to sing songs together and um, have meals together and to have discussions and listen to talks about things that matter to them in their lives and... Um, 
And so what happened is in 2013, a group of atheist bloggers got together and they decided to observe Lent just to see what it was like and see what it was about. And so they adopted much of the practices of, you know, giving something up, simplifying their lives. And for them, it was a a way to experience a sort of a cleanse or maybe to kickstart their New Year's resolutions that had fallen by the wayside. It was about practicing self-improvement. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And then about halfway through the article, the author asks the question, so what is Lent for anyway? And he pointed out, you know, Advent and Christmas, those are seasons that it's easy for anybody to get on board with, Christian or not, because they're typically seasons of celebration and excess. But Lent? Lent is about sacrifice and repentance and self-reflection. Listen, that's not too many people are lining up to hop on that train. It's about acknowledging our mortality, our brokenness, our sin, and looking towards Jesus for hope and life. But the author said this secular Lent practice seemed to turn even a time of self-denial into a time of self-focus. How can I make me better? So what is Lent for, anyway? I wonder if the answer to this question is in the last part of what we just read from Mark, where it says they heard the voice of God saying, this is my son who I love, which is an echo of the voice of God they heard at Jesus' baptism. This is my son who I love. Listen to him. What is Lent for anyway? Listen to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, in a time where we can't seem to find our way through issues that affect us, each and every one of us, the least among us, things like immigration and gun violence, there is no answer out there anywhere that is making any sense for all of us, and it's creating more and more turmoil and divisiveness and angst. How about let's listen to Jesus? Listen for the voice of Jesus for you, for me, for us. And let's follow his way. So we're doing a few things around Chapel Roswell this Lent season to try to help us all listen to the voice of Jesus. One of them is that Lenten devotional that I mentioned. To sign up, all you do is text Lent 2018 to 484848. If you haven't, do it. If you haven't done it, do it. In fact, the one today, the devotional for today was about the baptism of Jesus. This is a great way just every day to get a little text with a link to a devotional to help you listen for the voice of Jesus this Lenten season. Another way is just be here on Sundays. If you can't be in the room, be with us online as we follow the ways of Jesus. As we listen for his words.
and learn from Jesus what it means to have life and have it to its fullest. And you may just realize, just like Peter, James, and John, that Jesus is the way. So as we start this journey together today, following the ways of Jesus, we see Jesus turn his face towards Jerusalem and what he knew was going to be the end of his life here on earth. And God's glory was overwhelmingly visible in him. And the voice of God said, listen to him. And Jesus is speaking to us today. So we could say Lent is for listening to Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your listening heart, again. with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the listening closer. And the second is like it. Love your listening neighbor. for a fresh no. word. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but listening the for the first time. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You know that the rulers lord it over people, and high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Woe to you, religious people, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of what is yours, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. 